another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I'm actually recording this podcast on Monday, October 27th, uh, but odds are, if you're listening to it when it was published, you're listening to it on Tuesday, October 28th. Uh, that's because I'm out of town this uh, week for a couple days and wanted to do one in advance uh, so that I wouldn't go two days without a show this week. Hopefully, well, this will keep it to uh, one day this week without a show. Uh, this should be episode 82. Episode 82, rapidly approaching our centennial episode of 100 episodes. And as always, this podcast is being recorded during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Uh, Because I'm doing this one in advance and already did one this morning. This is an afternoon commute. So I'm on my way southbound now from Frisco to Arlington. It is a beautiful sunny day in Dallas-Fort Worth. uh, 64 degrees. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again in case you're a new uh, listener. When I talk about the weather and just what it's like and what I'm doing and where I'm going, uh, it, it's not really because it adds a whole lot to the show from a, a technical aspect or an informational aspect, or but I think you really care that much what my weather's like. It's just that when it comes to being friends, you talk about the weather, especially when you are miles apart and you're on the phone, and what's it like there? It's what friends do. And that's what I consider us. I consider every member of this audience my friend, even those of you who vehemently disagree with me on some political issues, and I know on some of them there is a vehement disagreement. Uh, Good news today, though, we will not be talking about politics at all today. I could care less about politics today. I want to expand on yesterday's show on winter gardening. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, episode 80, um, or 81, 81, uh, you might want to go listen to it, which is Winter is for Gardening Part 1, this is Winter is for Gardening Part 2, and and most times it won't matter if you listen to the previous day's show, listening to the next day's show, but today you really may want to because I'm kind of expanding on it and covering a lot of things I didn't get to cover this morning uh, with winter gardening and different options for winter gardening. And there's two big ones I want to talk about today. Uh, one is growing your plants just flat out indoors. And some different ways to do that rather than just relying on a sunny window. Because if I were honestly just to rely on a sunny window to grow any plants inside my house, uh, most vegetables, most plants that produce anything edible uh, wouldn't do very well in my home. I don't really have any of my windows that are situated in a way where they take sunlight all day long, especially in the winter time. And that's actually beneficial to me for climate control because I'm in Texas. So the last thing I want are windows being hit 24-7 with the sun. Uh, So that's good from a a climate control standpoint, but from a natural lighting standpoint, my house kind of sucks in that regard. So I have to do something about that, and there's the way to handle that with UV full-spectrum lighting. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. And the other thing I wanted to really expand upon is doing your gardening in a greenhouse when temperatures are below freezing for a sustained duration outside, even during the day when the sun comes up, and some different ideas I have for how you can get the most out of a greenhouse. 
So let's start with the first one, uh, gardening in the home. Now, this is something that, you know, people often wonder, well, how much can I grow with containers? Well, if you're growing things like maybe one tomato plant, uh, one pepper plant, and a bunch of greens, spinach, lettuce, things like that, you'd be surprised how much a few flower pots can produce with good garden soil. You take good care of them and give them good lighting. But the key is the lighting. And anything you do outside, uh, we talked a lot about raised beds and things like that. And one way to improve your raised beds is to compost them and all. And people don't, I don't think realize that you know you can throw a little compost on the surface of your your, your pots and your uh, containers for container gardening as well. So anything you can do to improve the soil outside, you can do inside as well. But the key is going to be that lighting. So there's a lot of different ways to do this. And I've looked up websites where they have these beautiful carts. And they have five or six shelves. And each shelf has its own very special grow light and and all those nice things like that. But the reality is, if you wanted to do this on the cheap, you could go down to your local pet store. Buy a light fixture for the top of a large fish tank. Get a full-spectrum UV light, or some of them will hold two, two of them. And rig up some chains and suspend them over the area you want to grow your plants, from the roof or from something like that. And that will pretty much do the same thing that any other full-spectrum UV light will do for you. And this is the issue that I I think a lot of people don't realize this. If you just take a well-lit room with good... um, you know, standard light in there, and rely on room light, conventional light bulbs for your plants, they will not thrive. In fact, in many instances, they'll die. Because plants don't just use light, they use full-spectrum UV light. That's what the sun is. So what you're looking for is a light bulb that provides the same type of light that our sun does. And again, it's simply, if you go by a full-spectrum UV light, you'll get that. Um, my preference, though, is not to try to chief out and use a fish tank light system, though there's some potential there that I'll talk about in just a second for something kind of cool you could do, kind of a nifty project if you have an old fish tank laying around. Uh, but from a, a, a you know kind of a more practical standpoint, there you can go out and buy, let's say, a two-foot uh, standard fluorescent light fixture, two fluorescent uh, lights for the uh, the light fixture, two fluorescent lamps, I guess is the right way to call them. And you can have maybe 30, 35 to 40 bucks investment to do that. And you can get a four foot setup for about 45 to 50 bucks. You take that into any place where you can hang it and put your plants underneath it, and you're going to have a lot better results than just the And even if you have a sunny window, uh, using a fluorescent lighting would allow you to provide light to your plants for a lot longer than is possible uh, just from a good sunny window, even if you have it on the south side of the home. Now let's talk just real quick about this fish tank idea that I mentioned. I happen to have an old fish tank, and I imagine a lot of people uh, out there may have one time kept tropical fish and decided not to anymore. I also know for a fact that if you were to go out to Craigslist, you can usually find some fish tanks very inexpensively, specifically maybe a fish tank that has, let's say, failed. What I mean by failed is it no longer will hold water. It's got a crack. It's got a uh, maybe one of the seals 
has kind of failed on it and it won't hold water. A lot of times people that have a fish tank like that will put it up for sale. And I'm talking you know, 40, 50, maybe 75 gallon, there's some standard sizes, uh, fish tanks that are out there that people will sell very inexpensively because they want to get rid of it, but they don't want to just throw it away because if they keep fish, it's no longer useful to them because it won't hold water. The reason they put them up for sale is a lot of people who keep reptiles will buy a tank like that because they don't need it to hold water because you don't put a, a lizard or a snake in a tank full of water unless it's a water snake or something like that. So a lot of times those are available. Now, if you take a standard fish tank and you put a, a screen top on it, it's real easy then to get a light fixture that's made for that size fish tank. A lot of times the person selling the tank may be selling the light fixture with it. The only thing you then need to add is a full-spectrum UV fluorescent bulb. So you go out to your local Petco or PetSmart, you pick up your full uh, full UV uh, fluorescent light, and you add it to the fixture. And instead of putting an animal in your tank, you fill the bottom with maybe 8 to 12 inches of uh, potting soil and plant a variety of leaf-bearing vegetables in that tank. Uh, that's going to provide a perfect little microclimate to do some indoor gardening. And the thing about it is, it'll look really cool. And it'll be something you can keep adding new plants to as your other plants, like lettuces often get to a point where they do what's called bolting, where they're no good anymore. They kind of go to seed. Uh, So you can then continue to add new plants and things like that. So that's just one way to create, you know, a little kind of a micro inside garden. The other thing that you might want to look into, and these are more expensive, the bulbs or the lamps, I guess is the more correct way to call them, are are a lot more expensive, but compact fluorescent full UV lighting. Now, everybody's aware of the compact fluorescence that we use in our homes now. They they screw into a regular light bulb socket, uh, but they look kind of weird. They look like a little screw pattern to them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a specific type of full-spectrum UV light that's made in a compact instead of a long tube uh, base. They're often a lot more efficient. They provide a lot more light and a lot less wattage drain on your power source. So they cost less to run, uh, but they are a lot more expensive. And, you know, I talked about a two-foot standard fluorescent light fixture with two full UV spectrum lamps in it, running you about $35. And I found sources for them about that much online. A compact equivalent may run you as much as $150, $120 to $150. Uh, and most of that I- additional cost is going to be the lamp itself. A, a full spectrum UV tube light, two feet long, can be had for 12 bucks. Um, one of these compact fluorescents may cost you as much as $49. So the thing to consider there is that whenever that lamp needs to be replaced, and now they last a very long time, but whenever it needs to be replaced, it's a very high ongoing expense. The advantage is a much smaller lighting fixture to provide the same amount of light and a much greater amount of intensity so you can do a lot more with them. And they do bear looking at. And a lot of people are doing a lot of internal hydroponic growing and things like that, that are relying on a lot of light sources to do large amounts of growing, are making the investment and upgrading to them. For most people, at this point, with the price point as high as it is, you're probably better with a standard light fixture and a standard uh, full UV spectrum for us, a light uh, lamp. 
Now, when it comes to growing stuff inside, what's the best stuff to grow inside? Well, the reality is you can grow just about anything inside that you could grow outside with a certain, you know, some things you really need to consider. Uh, let's look at one, for instance, with tomatoes. Tomatoes generally need to be pollinated, right? They're a blossom. They're not self-pollinating. Some of the hybrids are, but if you're growing uh, heirloom-type uh, uh, tomatoes, they need to be cross-pollinated from the other blossoms. So you can do that by hand, but it's a step you'll have to take. Whereas if you grow something like lettuce, uh, spinach, beets, uh, any type of the main products that are like uh, greens, what have you, they'll do very well inside because you don't need to worry about pollination there. So one of the big limitations is does the, the plant uh, need pollination? And if so, how much does it need? Is it something you can do by hand? And does it need a, a second plant to pollinate? In other words, you can usually take a lot of these uh, tomato vi- varieties today and have a single tomato vine. And you could go in with uh, there's what's called set spray. And you can get some of that and spray that on your blossoms, and that will help with, with uh, this cross-pollination of the, the, the vine's own blossoms. Or you can even go in with a Q-tip and hand pollinate, which basically just tap the inside of each blossom. Uh, with the Q-tip. And you'll get pretty good fruiting results with with tomatoes. Um, There are some other vegetables that just aren't going to make a lot of sense uh, to grow indoors unless you're going to grow more than one plant because they need, uh, for many squashes, for instance, a male and a female uh, blossom. You'll have to cross pollinate male to female, and it's generally a good idea to have at least two plants. Uh, cucumbers, much the same way. It's a good idea to have two separate vines if you want to do cu- cucumbers indoors. And they're better suited for uh, a very warm greenhouse, something you can keep a lot of warmth in, because uh, squash and cucumbers need a lot of warmth. Squash loves heat. Uh, now, too much heat, on, direct heat on the leaves can be bad, but they love warm, warm, warm soil, warm roots. Uh, so they're, they're a lot more difficult to grow indoors. And then they're large plants as well. Things like peppers actually make a very good indoor plant, though, even though there's some pollination going on there. First of all, the, the flowers are what are called perfect flowers, meaning that they are self-pollinating. So the, the blossom on a pepper plant has the ability to pollinate itself. So just by being vibrated or moved, um, you'll have a pepper plant pollinate itself. So you can just what's called brush the plant, which is just running your hand across the top of the plant will generally do everything it's needed to get pepper plants to pollinate themselves. You don't have to cross-pollinate, spray them with scent spray or anything like that. They do need, they are a warm weather plant, so you do need a certain amount of warmth, but generally your pepper plants will do very well if you want to give them good lighting indoors and keep the temperatures rather warm. The very best stuff to grow indoors, though, are various lettuces, uh, other greens, uh, spinaches, and things like that, uh, grown for the baby green size stuff, so that once they get to a certain size, you start cutting them. And a lot of times, it's even uh, really a good idea to grow those types of crops indoors, even in the summer, because it gets too hot in the summer to grow them outside, but they'll do okay indoors. Uh, so those are my, my, my favorite thing to grow during the winter inside the house, is those greens, the lettuces and spinaches. And, and we just eat the heck out of that all through the winter. And this year I'm going to be trying to do some of it outdoors in the cold and uh, in, in the greenhouse as well. I'm going to move on to greenhouses here in a second. So that kind of takes over the growing stuff indoors. Now the other thing you may want to do indoors isn't really grow, but simply start. 
So let's say you're going to put, you, let's say you live in a climate where you can put your uh, your plants, your baby plants in the ground around March 15th. And if you needed 12 weeks of growth, if that was the recommended time from a seed uh, to putting the plant out, uh, it was 12 weeks. Then you come back from the middle of March, you go two weeks in March, uh, four weeks in February, and uh, that's what, six? So you got another six weeks, so you've got uh, four weeks in January. Uh, so now you're looking at, you're right there, you're looking at 8, 10, middle of December. Okay, so if you're going to be putting things out in mid-March, which means you're pretty far south, you should be putting seeds into pots in December. Now, obviously, if you put the seeds in the ground in December, in most areas of the country, your plants will freeze to death and die. They, they probably won't even germinate. If you're going to be putting them out instead of mid, mid-March, in let's say mid-May, you're a little further north, well, you should be putting your, your seeds uh, with that time frame into pots and getting them started around January 15th. All right. If you're going to put them in around April 1, uh, or I mean May 1, then, well, you should be putting them in around January 30th. Right, so you still need the same basic setup indoors to do that, except you don't need as much room. Uh, if you're not going to actually grow the plants, put them into maybe like one-gallon-sized pots or something like that, you're just going to start them indoors. You can do a lot more in a smaller area. But again, you're going to need that full-spectrum UV light to get those baby plants off to a good start. And uh, so indoors is a great thing for doing that as well. I talked about this with yesterday's show. It makes a lot of sense to start your own plants. Number one, it'll cost less. Number two, you'll be able to, it's a lot easier to order the seeds uh, for the exact type of plant and exact variety you want than to find them at Home Depot or Lowe's or Callaway's or Mike's Nursery or whatever your local nurseries are. Uh, If you want especially some of these, you know, specific types of peppers or heirloom quality or heirloom variety, tomatoes and peppers and different things like that. So... That's something else to consider with your indoor gardening, not just to actually grow things in containers indoors for actual consumption, but just creating a space in your home, some place with that good UV lighting where you can get your plants off the ground uh, so that you can do a better job of providing for yourself rather than relying on the stores. That's part of survivalism. But from just a, just say you're not worried about the whole survivalist aspect of gardening right now. You, you have some heirloom seeds. You'll do that if you ever get around to it. Uh, Uh, But right now you're pretty comfortable with buying what you need. You're just not going to get the quality of plant that you will when you do it yourself. If you grow your own seeds, you you order a little packet of pepper seeds, uh, you want to start 12 plants, you put, I would put 16, uh, start 16 plants if you want 12. Uh, Just bet on losing at least, you know, four of them uh, on a quantity of that side. Bet on losing about 20 to 25% of your seeds, just having them not work for you. Uh, If you have one with extra plants, you can just give them away. You do that, and you're going to water your plants every day. You're not going to be trying to start a thousand of them like they do at these stores, so they're not going to be all pushed into this rack where they're all tied on top of each other. They're not going to be starved for light. They're not going to be starved for nutrients. They're not going to go maybe a day by being missed with watering or anything else like that. So they're going to be in a lot better shape. I don't know about you, but whenever I've bought plants, started plants from a store, they've always kind of been at a point where I kind of have to nurse them back to health before they get off to a good start because they haven't been taken as good care of. Or even if they were from a store where they took good care of them, they were just packed so densely 
They, you might buy a flat of nine plants, for instance, and three of the nine just really kind of got robbed for lighting. So they didn't do as well, so they're kind of behind their brothers. So if you do that yourself, you're going to get a lot better results. So that's another reason to consider you know, setting up an indoor growth area, even if you're not going to do the full-scale gardening in containers. So then the next thing I want to talk about today is greenhouse gardening. And I mentioned the Springhouse greenhouse yesterday, and uh, I am going to order one. In fact, hopefully I'll go ahead and order one tonight before I leave on my trip tomorrow. Uh, I am really excited about working with that product and letting you know more about it. But whether it's a Springhouse greenhouse, whether it's a full-scale build-it-yourself greenhouse, whether it's a kit, it doesn't really matter. What you're really talking about is a microclimate that utilizes and harnesses the energy of the sun to keep plants warm enough so they don't freeze to death in the wintertime. It's really what a greenhouse is all about. And done in the right way and put in certain areas, they can actually keep plants cooler in the summer as well. So those greens and spinaches and lettuces that I talked about earlier, a lot of times you can get them to grow in your greenhouse if you shade it and control things with it and keep temperatures down uh, better in the summer than they can grow out naturally. So it can work both ways. Usually the hottest part of the year, your greenhouse is best used as a storage shed. It won't really produce much for you. It's just too hot. Um, But throughout the rest of the year, you can find good uses for them. In the winter, the problem with a lot of greenhouses, especially the kit greenhouses, things like the spring house that I want to utilize this year and try out, is that they will not actually prevent freezing temperatures from occurring. During the day, let's say it's 20 degrees and the sun's beating down on it, it'll be above freezing in there. But at night, If it didn't warm up enough, and especially the larger the greenhouse, the bigger the challenge that you have with this, the more likely is the temperatures will go below freezing. Now, there's still some protection, especially for winter-hardy plants. Things like lettuce and spinach will do very well in a greenhouse, even if freezing temperatures are reached, because the frost isn't laying on top of them. Uh, Because when it snows or it ices, it's being protected. And because it is getting warmth during the day, and it doesn't stay as below freezing as long. But you still have a potential to lose plants. And then if you want to start trying to grow things in your greenhouse, like peppers, like tomatoes, and things like that, that can't handle any freezing temperatures, now you've got a problem. The good news is that with a good, a good greenhouse of a reasonable size, when I say reasonable size, I'm talking anywhere from 6 by 6 to maybe 10 by 10 uh, in size, a couple light bulbs inside them at night will keep you from reaching freezing temperatures. But the good news is these do not have to be, nor should they even probably be, the full UV spectrum lights, because you're not using the lights to give the plants light to grow by. Now you could do that if you wanted to set your greenhouse up that way there's nothing wrong because you can extend the duration of sunlight by using artificial light at nighttime. So you can get your plants to grow faster, more rapidly, and things like that. But just, let's say, two standard 100-watt bulbs produce quite a bit of heat. You set up two light fixtures in your greenhouse like that, and you have them run, let's say, from two hours after dark until sunup. 
during the cold nights. There might even be some sort of a timer you set up that does it automatically, which would be the lazy and the easy way to do it. But if you just simply turn them on every night and turn them off every morning uh, with a switch, those two light bulbs in a greenhouse will generally keep it from reaching freezing temperatures. As long as you're talking, you're going into like the 20-degree outside temperature range, you start going into a point with your greenhouse where you're going down at, let's say, something like, you know, zero degrees. It's going to be very hard to keep the temperature in the greenhouse overnight anyway from going below freezing. So now you have to look at doing something like bringing in some type of electric heat or wood-based heat or something like that. Uh, so it's not the most efficient energy usage. So you have to think about, well, how much heat do you need to bring in? But what I, you know, like what my main point here is for a lot of you, especially living in the southern United States, that are using your greenhouse, you know, like in Texas here, for instance, I could pretty much grow winter crops straight through the year in the ground if it wasn't for one day here and one day here and one week here and one week there where it goes below freezing. And if it wasn't for the occasional ice and snow days that we actually, it does snow here. I've seen uh, two years ago we had two and a half inches of snow on the ground. Uh, it was actually very warm by the middle of that day. It got up to like 50 degrees and the snow melted. But it doesn't help the plants because the plants with two inches of snow lay on top of them, they're as good as dead. In environments like that, the simple addition of a standard light bulb inside your greenhouse run at night is going to be enough to keep it warm. Some of these little tiny space heaters, right, these little floor-based space heaters, I saw one today at uh, at Lowe's when I stopped in at lunchtime to pick up some peat pots. Uh, There was a young girl sitting there working in the garden section, and uh, it's kind of outside. If you've been to Lowe's or Home Depot, you know how that is. And she had this little heater. And I mean, this thing was about six inches high by four inches wide by about four inches deep. And it produced quite a bit of heat. And I'm sure it's not the most fuel efficient thing or energy efficient thing, but on its lowest setting, inside a greenhouse of 10 foot by 10 foot, on a cold night, it would do a lot even at its lowest setting to keep the greenhouse just warm enough so the plants are not killed. Remember, this is not trying to heat the greenhouse to a temperature that makes it comfortable for you, but just makes it not deadly or detrimental to your plants. And if you have temperatures outside of 15 degrees, and you keep your greenhouse at 35 degrees, lettuce, spinach, beets, cold weather crops, broccolis, they're happy. They're good to go. So, that's another thing, and it's something I really wanted to bring up this morning, and I just didn't really have the time to fit that in with uh, this morning's show. So hopefully it'll add to what you can think about uh, you know, with today's show. Now, there's a couple little other tidbits and tips and tricks that I've used in the past that I'd like to give you for winter gardening. Most of these are not going to be the greatest if you live in New England or Montana or even like Illinois, Midwest where you get these big heavy blizzards and things like that uh, to keep your plants alive in the ground. But a lot of the southern half of the United States where you do have freezing problems, these things are going to work well for you right through the winter. And even in those extremes, if you want to get your plants out a month early, 
early. You want to get them out in March, and it's still too cold, uh, or maybe even late March. Like I know, like Montana, if you try to put plants on the ground on March 30th, they're probably still going to freeze to death. Uh, but you don't have that deep, heavy winter, so these things would work to get your plants in early in those climates or to grow things right through the winter in the south. One is what I call the mini greenhouse, the mini portable greenhouse you can build for yourself. And this simply, you can build a frame out of wood or PVC or anything like that. Get your standard clear um, plastic that's available for like painters and handymen. And simply fabricate little mini um, houses, for lack of a better word. And these could be made in the shape of a row or individual over individual plants. And you, you know, you build them yourself so you control the size. And just go out them and put them over your plants on the nights when you're going to have freezing temperatures. And leave them over your plants when you have snow and you know cold freezing rain and other things like that. And they'll go a long way, especially toward, I mean, it's not going to keep a pepper plant happy in the middle of a winter, even in Texas. But it'll keep your lettuce, it'll keep your you know, broccoli, it'll keep all the plants that typically do well in the winter alive and thriving throughout uh, the winter. You can also build these, like I said, in the shape of maybe a row. So maybe you have a row of broccoli. So build yourself a row-shaped mini greenhouse, something you can easily move and transport uh, and put over there. You know, and, and when, the, when the season ends and you don't need it anymore, take it apart, label your parts so it's easy to put back together, and that plastic sheeting stuff is cheap. Throw it away and just replace it next year when you use it again. So that's that's one little tip I have for you. Another is this spring house company. They make something called a row house, which instead of the cheap uh, handyman's you know clear film, is a very high quality made product. Like I said, I looked at one uh, at a nursery this weekend, and I was immensely impressed with how quality, how thick, uh, how just um, the, the the overall thickness and the construction. That's where I'm. The construction quality of these things was great, and instead of buying Buying a six by six or an eight by eight or a ten by ten greenhouse from them, you can actually buy a nice little small one that's designed to fit over a standard uh, garden row, and it has little vents and doors and everything else, and they're fairly inexpensive. The other thing things they have are basically like a little mini cold frame, so that you can uh, utilize the, a cold frame without actually having to build one. So those are all just a variety of ways that you can continue to produce food for yourself uh, throughout the winter, or at least get an early start on that spring or summer garden. Because I think a lot of gardeners have a real tendency to just, you know what, this time of year I'm getting the last out of my harvest and uh, it's over. And I'll plant stuff again in, in April or May. And that really limits how much you can produce. You should be producing at least two crops a year in most areas of the United States. I know some it's really not possible unless you grow things indoors or unless you grow things with a greenhouse or something like that. But in a lot of parts of the United States, even if you're just planting stuff in the ground, you can get at least two crops out of the year. Uh, So hopefully you'll start considering that. And again, like I said on yesterday's show, even if you're not going to grow anything right now, this is the time to be adding a bed. This is the time to be amending your soil. This is the time to be, uh, you know, harvesting the leaves that fall off your tree and put them in, into your uh, your compost bin. If you don't have a compost bin, this is the time to build a compost bin. This is the time of the year where it's not so blistering hot outside. You think you're going to die because you spend four hours working with a shovel. This is the time of year where it's actually comfortable and enjoyable to work with a shovel. And if you live in the northern climates where the ground actually freezes, you're running out of time before the ground freezes.
Is there anything you want to do with the ground? You need to go ahead and get that done uh, before the ground gets solid and it's almost impossible to dig. And then in that case, you want to start doing your work on you know digging your beds and amending them and all as soon as the ground defrosts, even if you're not ready to plant yet. Because when that soil's soft and it's not hot outside, that's the time to work. Throughout the depths of winter, don't forget about your gardening plants. That's the time to sit down with a pen and a paper and make lists of what you need to buy, what you need to order next year, what your plans are for the coming year, and to sit down and sketch out kind of you know what you have now and what you'd like it to be and decide, well, which beds am I going to build this year? How much of the materials are going to cost? Where can I scrounge the materials, beg, borrow uh, the materials, and what have you? And in other words, as, as the title of this podcast and yesterday's podcast indicate, you know, winter is for gardening. And winter's as much for gardening as summer. In fact, in many areas, winter's better than summer. Because like in my area, in the summertime, it's, it's really just too hot. And the plants that I coax through the summer, it's exactly what I have to do. I have to help them survive the summer so they can produce for me in early fall. Where winter, as long as you can keep the plants alive, they're going to do well for you. Uh, winter's a great time to be gardening. And if, as a survivalist, you need to be thinking about the fact that if you ever really need to depend on your gardening, only depending on your gardening from April through October isn't going to be good enough because you have to be able to eat November through March. So learning today to do a little thing so that maybe you're not producing as anywhere near as much in the winter, but you're producing something and you're learning from it. You're learning what doesn't work. You're learning uh, where your failures are, where your mistakes are, the modifications you have to make. If you ever get to a point where you have to rely on this, you're not starting from zero. Because the time to start gardening and the time to learn you know, the mistakes and failures and what works and doesn't work for you isn't when you need to rely on it. It's right now when it's something additional for you. It's the time to develop the skill. And winter's a great time to start working on developing that skill set. Uh, that kind of wraps up today's show. I'd love to hear your comments on uh, this episode. If you've never commented before, you can go to survivalpodcast.com and comment on this or any other episode. The issue is I will be traveling for the next, next couple days. I don't know when I'll get there to approve comments. The first couple times you uh, comment on the blog, there's an approval process. So if you make a comment it doesn't show up, don't worry about it. It will show up in time as soon as I get around to hitting the approve button. The other thing I'd like to invite you to do, take part in our forum. And if you're a gardener, take part in the gardening forum. There's a lot to be done there. Uh, there's some discussion, but it would be great to have more discussion, more input, more views. So uh, join our forum as well. Remember to send me your emails at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you hate. Tell me what you want to hear next. And uh, let me know in particular how you're changing your life to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't, either because of my show or just because of what you're seeing around you. Uh, make sure to join our listener appreciation contest. I'm starting to line up some sponsors for that, and I'm trying to get to a point where we're going to be giving away prizes uh, once a week on average, and uh, we of course did give away earlier this uh, this month the iPod, uh, which had actually inscribed on the back of it be an ant, not a grasshopper. Remember, that's what we're trying to teach you how to do here, to be an ant, not a grasshopper, because winter's coming, and I don't just mean the winter of 2008, I mean the winter of life, and if you're an ant, you're going to make your break through the winter with no problems at all. Again, this has been Jack Spear with the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause 
it's been 